Welcome back to Foul Play Crime Series. I'm sure many of you are wondering, if this is the confession of Jesse Strang, when does he appear? I promise, it's all going to become clear soon. We last left off with Joseph Orton agreeing to write Elsie Whipple a letter, which left him confused as to what her motive was. Did she want to write a letter because she had mutual feelings for him? Or was it a ploy to get him in trouble with her husband and have him removed from Cherry Hill? Joseph sat and carefully worded the letter to her, as you heard in the last episode. The letter was folded up and secretly handed to her. Not even an hour later, Elsie handed him an envelope. But when he looked at it, he felt confused. The letter was addressed to John Whipple, Kingston Co. Did she give him the envelope and hope he would mail it to her husband? That's when he realized the envelope was not sealed. Curiosity made him pull out the letter, and to his surprise, it was addressed to him. Dear Doctor, it is true, I am a married woman, and we are entire strangers to each other. I had no evil design on you in requesting you to write me. My motive is from pure love to you. Excited when I first saw you, the first time I ever saw you, to be acquainted with you, I fell in love with your eyes, nor have I, while you are absent, any comfort or happiness while thinking of you. And if I am a married woman, I ran away to get married, and I can do so again. For some time past, I have wanted to express my affection for you, but have been waiting in the hope that you would broach the subject. And this was the reason of my asking you to write me a letter, hoping that you would express your feelings towards me. And if your affections for me are as great as mine for you, you will never leave here without taking me with you. I hope you will write to me immediately and let me know whether you have any affection for me. I have often expressed my opinion that there was no such thing as love, but I have altered my opinion and am satisfied of its influence and that you are the only one I ever did love. I remain your true and affectionate lover until death separates us. LCD Whipple Her words made his heart pound. She did care for him after all. The feelings he had felt weren't one-sided. Joseph walked across the room and took a seat in the kitchen with pen and paper, ready to write a reply. There were others in the room with him, and he was careful not to show its contents. Someone asked him who he was writing to. A friend in Ohio, he quickly replied, and hurried to finish the letter. Joseph expressed his pleasure that she confided her feelings about him, promising her that he shared her same affections. Joseph told Elsie that if she ever wanted to leave her husband, he would do all in his power to support and protect her. After reading over the almost completed letter, he finished it by saying, I remain your true and affectionate lover 
Joseph folded and slid the letter into an envelope and addressed it to Mr. E. Husted, Lower Sandusky County, State of Ohio. He folded the envelope, stood, and slipped it into his pocket, leaving the kitchen. Joseph went about his business and worked throughout the morning, returning to Cherry Hill about 2 to 3 in the afternoon for a late lunch. Elsie was there, as if waiting for him to arrive. With careful movements, Joseph gave the envelope to Elsie, with no one in the room noticing the exchange. Joseph ate his lunch and went back out to work the fields, thinking about what Elsie would say in her next letter. Would she think him mad for asking her to leave her husband? They only recently started to get to know each other, but the deep affection he felt for her overruled his logic. The next letter Elsie gave to Joseph was again addressed to her husband. But the letter inside, she wanted Joseph to name a place where it would be safe for them to go. She would travel with him after she saved up $1,200 for the expenses. She didn't care where it was, saying she would go to the ends of the earth to have him. Late that night, when everyone else was asleep, the two met in the kitchen and talked. She told Joseph that it was her dream to run a house, that with the $1,200, she could open and furnish a public home. He admitted it wasn't something he was familiar with, but he was willing to learn. The next morning, Joseph wrote to Elsie, advising her that it would be best to go to Montreal, and they would stay there until John should become reconciled in his mind. Then they too would go to Lower Sandusky, Ohio, and keep tavern there. Joseph said if they were to be married, they would have to do so under fake names, since the wedding would be announced in the papers. The two continued to write each other, using Catherine's youngest daughter to take the messages back and forth. The two were smart in not addressing nor signing the letters. They were trying to figure out a way to raise the money, and Elsie suggested that Joseph forge a check using John's name. But Joseph had no way to do that, nor did he know how to go about it. Finally, on November 21, 1826, with no money saved and no means to run away to elope, Elsie wrote to Joseph with a horrific plan to murder her husband. See, John had wealth of his own. Everything they had rightfully belonged to her. But since she was a woman, only her husband had access to her fortune. Her plan was as follows. She told Joseph to go to Kingston and look for a job with John's partner, Mr. Stone. Then, hire some Irishman to kill John. Or, if he wanted to do it himself, she would give him one of John's many pistols. Joseph was shocked. This was the first time Elsie had ever wished her husband murdered. She had wished her husband dead in previous letters, but murdered Joseph couldn't believe it. He wrote back to her, stating that her letter caused him feelings that were impossible for him to get over. That as much as he loved her, 
he would never take the life of her husband. He would do no such thing. He told Elsie that he didn't want her for her wealth, but for her. He would rather work himself to death or work his hands off to support her than to take the life of her husband. Joseph said that if he couldn't have her without murder, then it was best to end things there. You're listening to Foul Play Crime Series by Black Label Podcasting. Let's take a quick break to listen to this episode's sponsor, Violent Ends. From the depths of the Great Lakes to the shadows of its national forests, Michigan has centuries worth of deadly secrets buried deep. Violent Ends is here to dig them up. Once known as the murder capital of the world, Michigan was the first English-speaking territory on the planet to abolish the death penalty. It's where the only American monarch in history, who also happened to be a cult leader, was crowned, and where one of the most credible UFO sightings in the world occurred. It's where Al Capone and John Dillinger and all of their best good buddies hid out from the long arm of the law and where we hold an annual parade to drive out a supernatural harbinger of doom that looks like a little red devil with a beer belly. Hosted by award-winning author and true crime connoisseur, Jen Carpenter, Violent Ends explores the dark side of Michigan's history. From the dark and disturbing to the just plain weird, episodes are released every other Tuesday and are available wherever you get your podcasts. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Joseph had two motives for this letter. One, to voice the disgust he had for taking a life. And the other, to see if she was serious about what she was suggesting. When Joseph returned to Cherry Hill that evening, Elsie handed him a letter in the kitchen. She regretted hurting his feelings as much as it appeared she had, and that the only reason why she made the application to him was that she thought he was a resolute man, and that if his affection for her was as great as he pretended it was, he would have consented to it for the sake of her and her property to live above board and without work, 
she didn't have any affection for her husband, and that she was confident he had none for her, and that all he wanted was her property. But since he refused to do it, she had concluded to remain as they were before, and endeavor to obtain the means to run away, and leave Mr. Whipple. But she explained that she could not bear the thought of leaving all her property with Mr. Whipple to spin with another woman. For the next month or so, the two continued their relationship by letters and private conversations. While there was no more talk about Joseph killing Mr. Whipple, Elsie continued to tell him that she wished him dead. Early January 1827, John returned home from Kingston. Whether Joseph and Elsie continued their secret meetings and writings is not known. But on February 1st, Elsie saw Joseph in the kitchen and ran to him. I have no other friend on earth but you, and how natural it is for me to run to you whenever I have any difficulty, for John has struck me. Joseph looked at her and asked if he should waylay him, to which Elsie told him yes. Joseph shook his head and told Elsie that he could not. She laughed at him, called him faint-hearted, and said if he wouldn't kill John, she would do it herself, with poison that Joseph should get for her. She then threatened him, If you won't consent to getting the poison for me, I will take my own life. I won't bear his abuse any longer. Joseph thought about this. He's never seen John even utter a hateful word to Elsie. In fact, he's always treated her in the kindest manner. Joseph called her on her bluff that he wouldn't get the poison. He wouldn't kill a man just to have her. For days, Elsie continued her urging. One night, Elsie came into the kitchen with a bowl of milk and smiled at him. John has just come home from town and wants this. If you had consented to have gotten the poison, how easy it would be for me to just put it in and never be suspected. Joseph's resolve was crumbling. He loved Elsie. He hated the idea of murder. But she was getting to him. Late one night, he sat down and wrote a letter, in part that said, Rather than bring poison to the house, for fear that some accident might take place, if you would procure me $300, I would go to Montreal and get someone to come take his life. This became the topic of their letters, how to hire someone to come and kill John. But as time went on, Elsie claimed that she couldn't get that much money without raising John's suspicion. So, Joseph gave in. He told her he would buy the poison. With shaky hands, Joseph walked into a drugstore and told them he wanted six pence worth of arsenic. To kill rats, he told the druggist. Sliding the arsenic into his pocket, he kept it there all night. But he wouldn't give her all of it. He took a piece of paper and spread a teaspoon of the arsenic on it, folded it up, and handed it to Elsie. He hid the rest of it in the barn. Elsie never used it. 
but was discovered by John, who asked a doctor what it was. The doctor told him he couldn't be sure without testing it, but it looked like plaster. John was beginning to become suspicious that someone was trying to kill him and started carrying a gun with him at all times. Elsie told Joseph it would be impossible to poison John now. In April, John left for business out of town, and Elsie and Joseph met in secret. The two finally consummated their relationship, and they made a promise to one another. But if John should die, neither should inform against the other. But if either was found out and convicted, the other should make a confession of the crime, and be hung and die together. Time passed, and in May, a plan was finally in place. Joseph would go to town and purchase a rifle and lead balls. Elsie had given him the money and told him to update her when he returned. The plan was to shoot John when he was in his office. But they needed to make sure no one suspected Joseph. He started telling people who resided in the home that he started seeing unknown men wandering around the property, that they seemed suspicious and told everyone to be cautious as they may mean harm to them. May 7th. Today was the day. Joseph's hands were shaky as he climbed up to the shed underneath the window of John's office. His back was facing towards Joseph. His mind was racing. O Lord, can so terrible a sinner be forgiven? Then, he pulled the trigger. <laughs> 